Thank you, Jeff, and good morning, everyone. Good morning, church family. Um, please go ahead and stand with me right now and open your Bibles to Ephesians 1, please. starting in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15, Paul's thanksgiving and prayer to the Ephesian church. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Go and have a seat. So, so we go into this today. Um, when I decided, when I was asked to teach today, Doug's gone. He was originally he was supposed to be gone um, to to a mission trip to Israel with the college he works for. Um, obviously, no one's no one's flying to Israel right now, so we know, and I think we all know why. Um, but he took the time to take some time off um, as much needed. Um, but as we as I went into this back in November, knowing that I was going to be teaching this, the first thing that just came to mind is how do we, knowing today is New Year's Eve, and I'm not much of a New Year's Eve type of person. If it's up to me, I'll probably be in bed by 10 o'clock or so tonight. Um, my kids will probably want to stay up later, but um, I'm not much of one to really think of, make New Year's resolutions. That's, that's not me. We don't do that in my family. I know some people do. It's not a sin to do it. I'm not knocking it. I just choose not to. So I look at it as tomorrow is just another day, another day that we should be glorifying God. Amen. Um, but as I was going to the, the title, the message that just came is just walking into the new year kingdom minded. And do we do that? Do we do that on a daily basis? I, I would venture to say we probably don't. Um, so... Jeff really built me up in a lot today, so I'm like trying to, <laughs> um, as, we, as we look at Ephesians, you might be asking, so how does Ephesians um, 1, 15 through 23 apply to walking into the new year? Well, there's, there's three parts of it that um, really struck me, and it's, it's the Paul praying for the people of, uh, Paul praying for the people um, of Ephesus, and the... Uh, hope that we have in Christ and knowing and trusting that he is building his kingdom, that he is already king over this kingdom now. Um, but so a quick 
brief history on, Ephes- on, on Ephesians. Um, what's the importance of the book of Ephesians? The book of Ephesians is an important encouragement to a group of believers who are surrounded by paganism. Sound familiar? Sounds like us almost in a way. Um, it reminds them to stay true to the faith and resist the temptations of the Roman and pagan society within which they live. So who is the letter of Ephesians written to? The epistle to the Ephesians was written to the church at Ephesus, a coastal city in Asia Minor, in what is now Turkey. The church was comprised of both former Jews and former Gentiles. Paul writes to them to encourage them to remain unified in Christ. Um, what is the main message? The main message of Ephesians is that believers in Christ are, rec- are reconciled not only to God but to each other. They are to maintain unity of purpose within their families and church while resisting the temptation to fall into the sin of the world surrounding them. Again, does it sound familiar like what we live in today? The purpose of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the purpose of the letter to the Ephesians was to encourage unity in the early church. Paul counsels the people of Ephesus not to be divided by their former statuses as Gentiles or Jews. What unites the churches, Paul argues, is their shared commitment to the cause of Christ and their agreement on his divinity. At the, time, at the same time, he reminds them to be separated from the pagan world around them. So, as, as, we, look in, as we look at this, it was recently, um, I heard it put somewhere recently, that the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. So, we, we have to, be, like Jeff was saying, we have to really be careful not to pull what we want to pull out of the Bible. We have to go into this, and I... I walked through this really cautiously, like, am I going the right way by going into Ephesians? And uh, I feel confident that um, God has put this message today this, in this epistle, um, is written to those believers in, in Ephesus and what was going on around them at the time. But we can relate and glean so much from what Paul was writing to them and, and use that to filter and to season our own life. So in point one, I, I, I have in verses 15 through 16, pray for one another. He was pray, Paul was praying for the church in Ephesus. Paul was praying for those believers. The apostles gave us great examples of how to live out our faith and prayer. If you go to James 5, if you, if you have your Bibles ready, just go into James 5, um, starting in verse 13. In James 5.13, starts out, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the, same, in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up And he is committed, if he has committed sins. He will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man of, with the nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Do, do we, so as we look at that, do we, do we truly pray like that? Um, 
Sometimes I think I do, sometimes I don't. I'll confess, I, I, I can be better, and I think many of us can be better in our prayer life. And I think that I believe this is a true example that we need to go into this year, this new year, every day focusing on prayer and knowing that God calls us to pray. He wants us to pray for one another, and I'm going to hit several of these. Um, this is not an exhaustive list of prayer um, because I don't have that much time. But Paul asked the believers in Thessalonica to pray for the elders. In 1 Thessalonians 5.25, brothers, pray for us. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. So, Paul's, Paul's asking the people to be praying for them. I'm asking you right now, pray for your elders, pray for your deacons, pray for your leadership, those who are serving in the church. We need it. Um, I, I lay this out. I, I'm, I'm not good. I'm not one. If you ask most of the other elders, I'm not usually one good at asking for prayer. Um, I'm usually a fairly private person. But um, this week I had, I feel like some of my messages filtered through this week a lot because it's been a busy, crazy week. But um, I think when they know that there's something really heavy on my heart, I'm sending out prayer to people to be asking. Um, and we need prayer. This has been a hard week, um, not just because of the message, but because it's just life going on. People being sick in my family. And we powered through it. God pers- we persevered with thanks be to God that we were able to get through this last week of illness and fevers and all sorts of things. But I'll repeat it again, we need prayer. The elder, we ask you, everyone here, everyone listening online, we need prayer. We need you to come alongside us in that way. Um, leaders, I'm looking at you right now. You should be praying for the flock. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. If I'm going fast, if I'm not giving you time to open up your Bibles, I apologize for that. Um, but you should be praying for the flock he has called us to shepherd and lead. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Um, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We need, as leaders, we need to be praying for those that are sitting right next to you right now. those, our kids, the, the brothers and sisters sitting next to us, the ones who are not here today, we need to be praying for them. And we need to be praying that, that ultimately, I see this is that God is being glorified in the church. That we need to be coming alongside those people and bringing encouraging words to them, speaking with them, and, but praying fervently that, we are, that the church, that his body is glorifying him in all ways. And um, 
And so what should our prayer look like? And that's what I was going in Ephesians 3. Um, Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. Your Bible's open. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. That's, Paul, that's one of Paul's prayers to the Ephesians. Are we praying like that? As elders, as, as deacons, as leadership, as the congregation, are we praying like that? Are we praying to be filled with the Spirit to go out and glorify God and proclaim the gospel that he has given us? The, again, we talked about earlier, he sent his son to die on a cross. God did that. God killed his son so that we could be his children, so that we could be adopted. We were not his children before. He made us his children. He adopted us. And we now have that spirit in us to proclaim and to pray this way and to go out and, and share it with others. Are we doing that? I'm going to get into that a little bit later more. But this is what our prayer should look like. So we go, we transition to point two. Um, don't forget who we are and our calling. John Calvin writes, Till the Lord opens them, the eyes of our heart are blind. Till the, the, till the Spirit be, has become our instructor, all that we know is folly and ignorance. Till the Spirit of God has made it known to us by a secret revelation, the knowledge of our divine calling exceeds the capacity of our own minds. So at regeneration, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes so that we can see who God is and who we are for the very first time. But after conversion, he continues to work to give us insight into his revealed word and to deepen our personal relationship with him. It's what Jeff was talking about earlier. He, we have the Spirit in us to reveal what this says. We have an opportunity to be in this every day, to go into this every day. Some take, some take that opportunity, some don't. I'm not going to fault you. I understand some things happen. But I, I, I pray that everyone is in their word every day in some way, shape, or form. Not, like I said, Jeff, when I say everyone, some way, shape, or form, I'm not saying go and read it on Facebook. I suggest if you way, shape, or form is in the Bible, on your phone with a Bible app, whatever that may be. But be in the word and be praying fervently again that God would reveal his word to us and what the truth is in here, whatever scripture you're reading that day, that God would reveal his word to you and that we would sit there just meditating on that and, and chewing on that and seeking to understand and know God because we have this opportunity to know God. How do we get to know God? How do we get to know God? Be in his word. 
That's the only way we're going to get to know God. His spirit is in us. He's put it in us. And he reveals himself through the, spoken, through the written word. John 16, 13 says, When the spirit come, of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Galatians 5.16 says, But I, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we walk by the Spirit. We need the only way to truly... God reveals himself through the Word. His Spirit is in us. I'm re, I sound like a broken record, I know. But it's important. We go through our daily walk. Whatever happens through us during the day, we can filter it through what we've read in his scripture, how he reveals himself to us. It, it guides us and leads us. That's how we know. The spirit, the spirit will guide us and lead us, but we need to have the word inside of us to truly understand and know it. God is, like I said, God has given us his certain word and placed the Holy Spirit to understand his word. So be in his word daily and continue and ask him to reveal it to you, like I said. Eyes and hearts enlightened to know the hope which he had called you, enlightened in the right terms. Jeff talked about, or earlier about um, what, what the world, how the, the world wants to bend and change God's word and, and mold it to shape it into what the world's view of God should be. Um, we see in so many examples of, um, uh, of, of a progressive Christianity which I would say that's just blaspheming God right then and there. That's, um, we're not, God is not progressive. God is God. He created, he's the one that created the heavens and the earth. He created each and every one of us. He's not, nothing's progressing with God. It's all been one plan from the beginning. And this is what we need to hold on to as we walk into this new year, reminding ourselves of who he is. And we need to, Trust him with who he says he is. It, um, and what we need to remember is the hope that we have that he has called us to. Galatians 5.5, 5, for through the spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. This is what we need to be reminded of as we go into the new year, okay? Of every day. Uh, again, I say the new year, but I'm talking every day we need to do this. Colossians 1.27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his majesty, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ is our hope. 1 Timothy 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. We have the hope of eternal life. Titus 1.2, hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. All of these refer to the same thing, the eternal, the resurrected, resurrected existence we will enjoy in the new heaven and earth, face to face before our holy God as beings who cannot sin because of the redemption our Savior has purchased for us. So what we get to look forward to, eternity with God. When right now we're in this, this sinful world, we still are sinners. We're li we need repentance every day for something. And if you, if you say you're sinless, then I'm going to call you a liar. Okay, because we're all sinners. We all have some sin in our heart that we're fighting on a daily basis. And we need to repent and ask for forgiveness for that. But we look forward in the hope in that eternal life when we will, not be, when we will be sinless at some point in time. 
when, when we're face to face with Christ again. So we transition to point three. Know that he is ruling now and forevermore. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. Don't open your Bibles up and read that with me, please. 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is, ex- he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So we see the ultimate trust and hope that we have is him ruling in the future, but not just in the future. We, we look... We, we look that God is going to rule, that Christ is going to rule at some point. We need to be reminded and know, again, as we walk into every day, that he is ruling now. He's in the process of subjecting his enemies to, to under him, that he is in control of that. And we, we, we get so frustrated, we see in this world um, that um, this this... This, we see in this world how bad it is, right? We see sin all around us. But we have to remind you that God is in control. God is sovereign over that also. And um, talk about he's ruling now. Christ's sacrifice made it possible for him to be seated at the right hand of the God to rule. In Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, his, his body, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has made, he has perfected all, for all time those who are being sanctified. Who's being sanctified? If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, you're being sanctified, right? Amen. John Owen tells us that the reign of Christ is described in verses 12 and 13, guarantees that Christ's offering will do all these things. He writes, God was completely pleased, satisfied, and highly glorified in and through Christ's offering. For had this not been so, Christ's human nature would not have been immediately exalted to the highest glory possible. So what does this mean? 
I started to mention it. We look at this place, this world. How is the evidence of God ruling in this world? We see, how, how, how is it? When we see death, destruction, wars, again, death, all sorts of things happening on a daily basis. Um, and some people see more than others. Uh, but we see his gospel being spread. We see the dead being raised to new life. Evidence in baptisms is going to be taking place next week. That is a miracle in and of itself. I have a brother right here. He's, he's, gonna, he's probably going to punch me for putting it out there. No, he's, he's excited. He should be excited because it's a new life right there. Jackson right there. He's getting baptized next week. This is the excitement of the kingdom that's being built. And we see him growing his kingdom. We, we, we place way too much significance and importance on our country, on the U.S., of, of what we see of, like, of politics and all sorts of things that are bad that's going on. We focus way too much on that. Should we recognize it? Yes. We need to be aware of it. I'm not saying turn a blind eye to it. That's foolish in and of itself. But what we, we see this in front of us, for all intents and purposes, it's, it looks like it's decreasing, like God's kingdom is decreasing, right? If we look at just what we see on Facebook, if we look at just what we see on Instagram or whatever social media you might, I got off social media. I recommend one of the best things you can do. This is a, this is a side note. The best thing you can do is get off social media. I'll go back. So I'll just leave, I'll leave that at that. We can talk about that afterwards. That's a whole other message. Um, we'll see, stand up here and tell you that God, I will stand up here and tell you God is sovereign over all the negative stuff that's happening in this world, in this country right now. But we want to be encouraged in this. And look at what's going on in other countries because we don't see necessarily what's going on unless you're on the right type of news feeds that are reporting this because we know the junk that's on the media right now is only going to report the bad stuff because that's what sells, right? Take a look in Africa. Christianity is the major religion in numerous African countries. As of 2023, around 96% of the population of Zambia was Christian, representing the highest percentage on the continent. Seychelles and Rwanda followed with roughly 95% and 94% of the population being Christian, respectively. While these countries present the highest percentages, Christianity was also prevalent in many other African nations. For instance, in South Africa, Christianity was the, was the religion of nearly 80% of the people, while the share corresponded to 90, or sorry, 71% in Ghana. Religious variations across Africa, Christianity and Islam are the most practiced religions in Africa. Christian adherents are prevalent uh, below the Sahara, while North Africa is predominantly Muslim. In 2020, though, Christians accounted for around 60% of the sub-Saharan African population, followed by Muslims with a share of roughly 30%, so at least Christianity is higher than the Muslim, right? Amen. Um, the, in absolute terms, there were approximately 650 million Christians, proclaiming Christians, in the region, a number forecast to increase to over 1 billion by 2050. In contrast, Islam is most prevalent in North Africa after being original 90% of the population of Algeria and Morocco. But um, we see that's evidence if you look at the statistics 
of countries like Africa that are relatively third world countries, where's, where's, the, where's the kingdom growing? It's in those third world countries, and we don't see that. We see people leaving church. We see 2020 happening. Um, Doug's talked about it up here numerous times that um, so many people have left the church in the last two to three years. And sad to say, the people that left the church probably weren't believers in the first place. Let's just face it. That's probably the truth. Now, but we see this and we think that everything is decreasing when in actuality, if we really look, if we really pray for God to reveal it to us, we see the, his kingdom growing on a daily basis. We see it in the Jackson Johns and the Bradys and the Emilys right there that are, are coming and they're not knowing, that don't grow up in a Christian household and are hearing the gospel and learning and recognizing who Jesus is and repenting and, and getting baptized and going out and spreading the gospel more. That's what's happening. That's what we need to be focused on. That's what we need to see. And so what are we doing about that? The Lord says to my Lord in Psalm 110.1, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Another hope that we have. The point of the footstool symbolism is clear. The enemy is vanquished, humiliated, and completely at the mercy of the victorious king. So the imagery of Jesus using his enemies as a footstool means that he has won and his enemies are completely subjected to him. Are all his enemies subjected to him right now? They're subject to him, yes. But are they fully subjected right now? No. Is, do we know Christ is going to win? Yes. And that's the hope we have. Do we go out on a daily basis and living that out and and trusting that? Or do we just get so focused on our own, my job is miserable, I hate it, I don't want it, and focus on that? I was convicted on that this last week that I, that I or the week before Christmas, that, that I focus too much on how much I hate my job. But I need to go forward and not focus on how much I hate my job, but how much opportunity do I have to share the gospel in that job? That's how we need to be living. That's what we need to be doing. So that takes me to the fourth and final point of this message. We get the opportunity to share. And this, I'm going outside now. We'll walk over here. It doesn't talk about sharing the gospel in Ephesians, in Ephesians 1. I get that. But I would be remiss to not talk about that in a message where I'm talking how we're going to walk into the new year. Proclaiming the kingdom. So we get the opportunity to share and play our part in growing this kingdom that God is building by spreading the gospel. I found this quote as I was looking it up. James Knowlton, he was a Puritan preacher in the 1600s. Um, and I wish I would have put this up on the board and I didn't. I apologize for not doing that. But I want everyone to really sit here and think about this for a moment. I'm going to read this a couple times because I really want it to sink in. This is James Nalton. You now imagine a God made, of, made all of mercy and compassion. But if you saw just a shadow of God's wrath on a damned soul in hell, it would make your heart ache, your, your joints quake, and rottenness enter your bones. I'm going to read that again because I want that to penetrate our hearts right now. I want to, 
You now imagine of God made of all, all of mercy and compassion. But if you saw just a shadow of God's wrath on a damned soul in hell, it would make your heart ache, your joints quake, and rottenness enter your bones. Just let that sit for a second. Think about that. I'm going to be quiet. Think about the person that works with, next to you in your office. Think about that person in college that you go to school with, in high school, college, grade school, whatever you're in. Think about that person damned to hell and rotting. Do we think about that enough? I would say no, we don't. So why do we not share the gospel? Why do we not, if we have the truth, the truth is in us. The spirit is in us. The gospel is in us. If we have that truth, why do we share it with anybody? Why do we not share it with anybody? Now, I'm not saying everyone doesn't. I know many people here do. But I know there's others that don't. And I'm calling everyone out. Why are we not out there every day and looking for an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody? Because those people we love... And those people we hate, let's face it, there's people we hate too that could be our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why are we not sharing with them? I challenge you, the biggest thing, yes, we need to go into the new year knowing and praying for each other, one another. Absolutely. I just preached on it. We need to go out there sharing or reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ and the hope that we have. We need to be going out there and remembering the, the kingdom that God is building, that Christ is building right now. But that's all known void if we're not sharing the gospel that he's called us to. Fear, selfishness, laziness, fear of rejection. The list can go on. The, the list is exhausting of why we don't share Let's stop, let's kill that list and stop living in fear because he's not given us a, a, a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit to go out and share boldly his truth. I sat in a funeral Friday. I sat in a funeral on Friday for, I talked about how this has been a rough week. A man that I truly respected in a worldly sense, I'll emphasize that in a worldly sense, who was not a believer. Um, some of my closest friends are LDS, are Mormon, that I grew up with. Some of them, honestly, are, are more like family than much of my family. And I got the call on Saturday that Don had passed away. And the initial thought in my mind, in my heart, was 
I didn't do enough. I didn't share the gospel with him. Did I share the gospel with him? Did I do it well enough? Has I shared the gospel with any of his family well enough? Or at all, period. And all those, the fear, the selfishness, the laziness, fear of rejection, fear of losing friends, all those went through my mind. Praise God, he reminded me that, and fully, I don't know his, and this is the saddest part, I don't know his full, I, I think I know where he is, and it's not good because it comes right back to what James Melton was saying. And that's what guts, wrenches at my gut. I have to, we have to recognize and know that each one of us is not going to save someone. God does the saving. God is going to do the saving. But where's our obedience? Why are we not obedient to him? Why do we not share? Again, I go back to that list. Why do we not share enough? Because at least had I known that I shared, still hurts. It's still sad. At least I know that I was obedient to Christ, that I was obedient to God, that we should be obedient to God by sharing his gospel. I sat there in this funeral on Friday hearing these Christianese statements, hearing scripture spoken out of context, Jeff, um, And it hurt. It hurt. Do we look? I want everyone to just search inside yourself right now and think about that. Do we, do we go forward and do we look and see those people, like I said before, sitting next to us, our friends, our family, who are unbelievers, because I have those too. And do I, do I love them enough to tell them and give them the truth? Because I would say right now, if you're not telling those family members, those friends, about the, the love of Christ, the sacrifice that he did on that, made on that cross, you don't love them. You don't. So I'm challenging you right now, walking into this year, we need to be going into this year professing Christ, living fully for him, boldly, remembering who we are, but loving others more than ourselves, by sharing the gospel with them. Romans 1, 16-7, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Are you ashamed? If you're ashamed, raise your hand right now, and I'd love to have a conversation with you afterwards. Myself, Jeff, anyone, I would love to have, because we should not be ashamed of what truth we've been given. This should not be taken and hiding it under a basket. We don't hide lights under a basket, right? We don't take the good news that we have and hide it from others. Because if you're doing that, that's just selfish, and that's a sin right there. And I'm asking you to repent if that's what we're doing. going back and looking at the prayer for a moment take that step further and go and look for those who 
are lost and pray with them. They may, they may not like it. Some will appreciate it. But some, some will reject it outright, outrightly. I get it. I, I take this, this specific example of, of this friend's daughter. Who, again, I grew up with them just several months ago when he had his first stroke. We could see that she was upset. Lori and I were with him. And we see, we can see God working in some way, shape, or form, how it resonates to them. Again, these are very devout, devout Mormons. But as we're sitting at the luncheon afterwards, they were sitting with a, um, some friends of theirs, and they introduced this. And the fight is, I think, I'll wait for a second on that one. Sorry. Um, they know who I am. They know who my wife is. They know who my family is. They care for us deeply. That's why we've been invited into their homes and their, their life. But we do something different than what they do. She brought it up as she introduced us to some friends of theirs that were out of town from Utah. And they said, oh, this is Brian and Lori on our show team, yada, yada, yada. Um, they're very involved in their church. And Tammy, the daughter, got teary-eyed and started to explain that just several months ago when dad had his first stroke, Brian and Lori could see that I was sad and hurting. And we don't, she said, we don't do this enough, but Brian grabbed a hold of my arm, grabbed a hold of Lori, and he prayed right there for me. How often are we doing that? That resonated in them. Now, I'm not going to lie, the prayer is hard. Because we have to speak truth in our prayers. They don't believe the same Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus. They believe in a Jesus, but not the Jesus. Not the Jesus that died on the cross. A Jesus that's brothers with Satan. That's not Jesus. That's a made-up Jesus. But, and this goes for anyone in other religions that doesn't know the real Jesus. We need to be looking for those opportunities to share the gospel with them and just getting that foothold in the door to be able to share more and ask questions. We need to ask questions. We don't do that. We need to be asking questions to seek, to understand, to know them so that we can share the truth with them. In Romans 10, 14 through 17 how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what has been heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How are those that are lost going to hear? Is God going to do it? Yes. He will provide the opportunity. But shouldn't we be those preachers? Shouldn't we be those feet that go out and share the gospel? It's the Great Commission. Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We were in a leadership meeting back in November. Those of you who were here 
would recognize. Would, may, may remember this, maybe have tuned me out when I was saying it, I don't know. I can't say word for word exactly how I said that day. And this will offend some people, and I hope it does, okay? We need to be sharing the gospel and not just have a bunch of holy huddles. We're good at having holy huddles and just being believers, sitting together, having Bible studies, doing that. And it's a good thing. We need to be doing that. But that's not all we need to be doing. You need to be opening up your doors to allow those lost in, those lost sheep to come in and hear the word spoken. I'm not saying that I'm perfect at it. I know I'm not perfect at it. And I hate using myself as an example, but there's others out there. We open our doors. And the blessing, and, and there's days that I'm like, oh, had a hard day at work. I don't want to have a bunch. No offense, guys. I, <laughs> I don't want to have 15, 20 kids come over to my house because I'm tired. But those are the days that we see the greatest gifts, the greatest blessings is when they come over and we, and, and we muddle through it, we power through it. I may be struggling to put a message together that day, even two hours before. Again, not my best thing to do. But we do it because we're obedient. Why? Obedience is one, but it's because we love them. We need to love the lost. We need to love those who hate us. We need to be opening our doors and sharing the gospel. I heard, I just listened to a podcast, and forgive me, I forgot the name of the lady. If you ask me, I can get it afterwards. She was a professor in Syracuse, I believe. Someone maybe have already heard of her. But she, I, she said, I identified as a lesbian. I thought I was a lesbian. And she taught on women's studies and as liberal as you can possibly get, as, as progressive as you can possibly get. It was a couple from a church that invited her to her, their house and shared the gospel with her over a meal. And it was that kindness that they presented to her that God used to change her heart. And now she's a Reformed Presbyterian pastor's wife with... Six kids that she's homeschooled and are all flourishing quite well. Those are the people out there that need, the, that need to be reached. I pray that we're doing that. So open your doors. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it on that. I think I've yelled a little bit, probably the most passion I've gotten in a while, but this is something that we need to be doing, guys, brothers and sisters. We need to stop focusing so much on ourselves and start focusing and loving others. Loving those who we hate and loving those who hate us. So pray with me as I pray. Uh, sorry, I should have called the, you guys to come up and start. But Father God, we come before you today and just thank you for this day that we could be together on this last day of 2023. Lord, I pray, um, although dates and years don't really truly matter because you created them. You're the author of time, Lord. But as we, as we go into this new year of 2024, Lord, may, we, may you just prick our heart. May, you can, may your spirit inside of us convict us 
that we would go forward and stop focusing so much on ourselves and start proclaiming the mercies and the, and the grace that you have, Lord, for those who are dying. May we see, may you give us eyes to see the lost. Lord, I pray that we would be people of prayer, that pray for each other, that pray for our leaders, that pray with each other, um, in godly prayers that are glorifying to you, Lord. I pray that we see the hope that we have in eternity with you. I pray that we see you sitting on your throne as your enemies pile up under your feet, Lord. As you call us to be your Christian soldiers that go out and proclaim your gospel. As we see lives changed. As we see dead men and women revived to new life, Lord. I give you thanks and praise that we get to be here today. I pray that this message went out to someone and it convicts many, Lord. It's in your glorious Son, Jesus' name I pray. Amen.